Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. There is a passage the Lord has placed in my spirit I want to share with you. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. We're going to read the New International Version of this passage. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Lord, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I want to share with you from this passage, the day grace appeared. I think one of the misunderstandings or or false conclusions, I could use that phrase, that we have around the Christmas story or the Christmas narratives is that those stories, those narratives are limited to the gospel records, particularly to Matthew and Luke. But there are substantive glimpses of the narratives, the birth narrative, the incarnation elsewhere in the New Testament as well. Because this story, this story of the Christ child being born to a virgin whose name was Mary was central to the faith and the profession of the early Christian community. You see evidence of the birth narrative in passages such as John's magnificent prologue, particularly when he moves as he opens with Uh, the acknowledgement of the Lagos, uh, the word that was with God from the very beginning, uh, 14 verses later, he says that the word was made flesh. It was fleshed out, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you read the book of Acts, uh, just a cursory review of many of the passages in the book of Acts will reveal that The incarnation, the birth, the appearance of Jesus Christ is a central tenet and a key component in the preaching of the early church. Paul's first letter to Timothy includes a primitive hymn. One stanza says, the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16. So Christmas, according to the Apostle Paul, is a grace 
appearing. Twice he uses this word appearing in this particular passage that I've read. And there are only two other occurrences of the word in the New Testament. It is the word from which we get our English word epiphany. It's a word that describes the manifestation or the revelation of deity. The New Testament uses it as a part of the prayer of Zacharias, the Benedictus, when he says in verse 79 of chapter 1 of Luke, he says that the one who is the Messiah will give light to them who sit in darkness. And then it's used of the illumination of heavenly bodies in Acts chapter 27 and 20. What I'm saying to you is that whatever else Christmas is to us or for us, it ought to be a reminder of the day that grace appeared. Christmas is the epiphany, the manifestation. It is the revelation of grace. And so in this context, in the book of Titus, Paul is writing to one who many believe is, is like Timothy, a son in the ministry. And he is ministering in Crete, some 100 miles south of Greece, Titus is, in a community or in a city, an island city that would never qualify on the top 10 best places to serve as a pastor. It wouldn't have qualified for that recognition in the ancient world. The Cretans were descendants of mercenaries, pirates, and swindlers. And even according to their own prophets, uh, one of whom Paul quotes, they were given legendarily to gluttony, laziness, and immorality. If anybody ever needed grace, Anybody ever needed some grace? These folk needed grace. And it's interesting that Paul writes to Titus and tell them of everything else he does. Remind them that grace has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. So what are the characteristics of this grace that has appeared as a part of the Christ child being born? There's only three things that I want to share with you, and they're in this text, and I'll be through. First of all, the day grace appeared, grace saves us. It's not complicated. Paul says it in verse 11. He says, the grace of God brings about salvation. It is the carrier. It is the conduit. It is the channel that God uses to bring salvation into our lives. The law could only condemn, but grace saves. You know, John in his prologue, he says it this way, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by literally in the original through Jesus Christ. And that's, that dichotomy is expressed and signal even in the birth of Jesus when Joseph is told that you shall name him Jesus. Not Joseph Jr. You shall name him Jesus because he shall save 
or deliver his people from sin. Grace saves us. And we can become so anesthetized by our creature comforts that we fail to realize that grace is our number one need. You checking your list, you better check it twice to make sure grace is at the top. And that's why grace is so primary. Grace is so preeminent because God gave us that which we need most. If we just needed knowledge, he would have sent an educator. If we just needed finances, he would have sent a banker. If we just needed health and healing, he would have sent a doctor, a dentist, or a surgeon. If we just needed food, he would have sent a farmer. If we needed justice and fairness, he would have sent an attorney. If we just needed protection, he would have sent a policeman. If we just needed fun, he would have sent an entertainer. If we needed a house only, he would have sent a contractor. And if we just needed clothes, he would have sent a tailor. But what we needed was salvation. We needed salvation, and he sent a savior. On the day grace appeared, it was a savior that was sent. A savior who descended from glory, wrapped himself up in human flesh to deliver us from our sins. I was driving recently and found myself behind a truck apparently that belonged to a fleet of a moving company and the advertisement got my attention on the back of the truck it says we move the things you can't and I thought that's what Jesus does he moves his stuff do I have a witness in here he moves his stuff I can't move the savior Moves the thing that we can't because grace saves. His perfect life was the price for our salvation. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God, which is in him. The number one need in your and my life is salvation. And I say it with all the gravity and seriousness I can say this morning, you need to be sure. Very sure your anchor holds and grips solid rock. No guarantee you're going to make it home today. No guarantee you're going to get out of the sanctuary today. Grace saves. The day grace appeared, it is a grace that saves. But the text also says it does something else. The grace that saves is also a grace that sanctifies. It sanctifies. Paul goes on to say that in verse 12, that this grace teaches us to say no to ungodly and worldly passions. And to live self-control, upright, and godly lives in this present age. 
Here's another myth. Holiness and sanctified are not Christian denominations. Something one group of Christians have a corner on or a monopoly on over others. Holiness and sanctified are not Christian denominations. They're Christian dynamics. I would be just as correct as saying I am holiness as I would be saying I am Baptist. Because holiness is something God called all of us to. Holiness and sanctified describes the character of a spiritual life that ought to be evident in every child of God. And in this particular passage, the specific virtues are, first of all, self-control or prudence, which places every passion we have in life in its appropriate place. Upright or justice, which allows us to give God and others the proper role they should have in our lives. And then godliness, which is reverence, which allows us and encourages us to see our lives and the world in which we live as a temple of God. Grace saves, but grace also sanctifies. God is working in our lives. And I love the way Paul positions this. He says grace gives us the ability to say no. And you and I are faced with choices all the time. And you and I know we would love to have some of our decisions back. But grace is that greater yes that allows us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly lust and passions. To temptations. We all face them. And we all are called to live holy and sanctified lives. And this passage implicitly recognizes the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're not alone. The Holy Spirit indwells the child of God and and helps us in these struggles that we have. But the other thing I want to say is that this awareness, this awareness that grace is sanctifying us ought to make us all more grace-oriented. The church is a hospital where sick folk come. Church is a construction site. Sometimes we come to the church and we're looking for perfection. You at the wrong place because all have sinned. All have sinned and come short. And we all, let me tell you where we live at. Every one of us lives somewhere between Lord have mercy and glory. Hallelujah. That's why I love those passages in the psalm. When the psalmist David writes, and here's a man who knew something about grace. He says, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I? Where would I be? I love the way the apostle John in his first epistle expressed this. John says, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but when the Lord appears, we shall be like him. Grace saves. Grace sanctifies. But there's something else the text reminds us that happens on the day grace appeared. Grace stabilizes. It stabilizes us. The second occurrence of the word appearance 
is in verse 13, where the biblical writer says, while we wait for the blessed hope, and here it is, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace stabilizes. See, Christmas is not only the time when we celebrate the now, but it's also the time when we anticipate the not yet. We're being sanctified. And Paul said, while we are saying no to sin, no to immorality, no to ungodliness, we're saying yes to God and we're waiting for the blessed hope. And what is that hope? It's the second epiphany. Not the one where Jesus was born in Bethlehem and, and he appeared on one starry night as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. But the appearance of the one who is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And he's coming back to save those who he is purifying, verse 14 says, for himself, his very own people. And what I love about how Paul expresses this is the phrase translated his very own people is a word that's used in the ancient language to communicate what happens when a king wins a battle and he reserves a certain amount of the spoils just for himself. As I think about the day grace appeared, that you and I who are children of God are those who accept him as their savior. We are the spoils of a victory that's already been won. And it stabilizes me to know that he's coming back again. Stabilizes me to know that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And so the day grace appeared, grace saves, grace sanctified, and grace stabilizes. But once that grace has appeared in your life and perhaps someone here today will experience it, there are days afterwards in which grace appears. I started scrolling in my own mind, thinking about my own journey, about those times in my life when grace has appeared. I don't have to wait to Christmas Day to shout because there are many days in my life when I can celebrate that grace appeared. Grace saved me. Grace sanctified me and grace stabilized me, but grace has healed me. Grace has helped me. Grace has forgiven me. Grace has looked beyond my faults and saw my needs. When the bread you've cast on the waters start coming back to you, I know grace has appeared. When you start thinking and you start thinking and tears begin to roll down your cheek, you know grace has appeared. When you know in your heart, no matter what you're going through, he may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. You know grace has appeared. Do I have a witness? When you look back and you see how he made your enemies your footstool, you know grace 
has appeared. Oh, yes, when he woke me up early this morning and started me on my way, I know grace has appeared. My best days are not behind me. My best days are in front of me. Because some glad morning, when his life is over, I'm going to fly away to be at rest with him. The one who is my savior, the one who is my sanctifier, and the one who is my stabilizer. You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.